really what you want to hear is from other people who like that band. You don't want to listen to the guy go, I think they really it's not it's not it's not how we feel. It's not how emotionally we're connected to to great works of, of art or even just entertainment. It's just not and I and I I strongly think that this I mean look, in my view the the big grand scheme the big future of this thing is we get you know millions of people on it and then when a movie's coming out the way it works is that they screen the film for the reviewers on basically Tuesday and Wednesday of of release and they embargo the they say you can't print it until Welcome to the Jess Larson Show, where I interview innovators and leaders. Today, I'm excited to have Jay Chandrasekhar on the show. Jay, thanks for doing this. Thank you. So I know you from Super Troopers fame, but can I read a little bit of an intro and then you hit some of the highlights that I missed? Is that okay? Sure. Jay is an actor, director, writer, comedian, and co-founder of Vouch Vault, which we're going to talk about. I signed up for recently. Good. Um, Jay has, been, has had an explosive career in the entertainment industry, spanning back over 20 years with a strong background in comedy, scoring a fan favorite with the 2001 cult classic Super Troopers. Jay's experienced firsthand the power of recommendations and how influential they can be. And I got to say, I was excited when your team asked if you could come on the show. And I had no idea how many other things you've done. Like, I didn't realize that you directed Dukes of Hazzard. Like, there's so many TV shows you've done. Like, even some of the older ones, I'm kind of like Chuck and a bunch of like, you've done so much TV that I don't think people realize like how much more you've done outside of your improv crew. You know, I've, I've done 150 episodes of television. And, and part of the reason is because I started when I was, I think, 24 directing TV. And I thought, you know, when I got to 100, I remember kind of looking around. I was on the set of like Happy Endings or something at over at Paramount. And I was hoping somebody would bring me a cake that said 100 on it. Never happened. And then I got to 150 and I was up at, you know, I think I was over at Warner Brothers. And I'm like, no fucking cake. So I still have no cakes, but I am past 150. I've directed, I should figure this out, but it's either nine or 10 movies. And, you know, I've been doing stand up since I was 19. I, I wrote a memoir that was published by Penguin a few years back. And I'm I'm going to finish a novel that I've been working on the past three years today. Well, and I don't, you know, probably more people than I realize know this, but I didn't realize like how many shows you've been in. Community, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Nailed It, like, you know, and just like the little parts you have in things all over the place. So you have these cameos in all these different things. Well, I come in as a director and, and I never, ever say, hey, you want to put me in the show because... They, they're hiring me to direct their show. They're not hiring me to be in it, right? So, and so I just sort of go about my work, but eventually the showrunner comes around and goes, you know, people know you too, and we got a little part for you. And then inevitably I end up in the show. I'm always, I end up in the show, but but it's usually like season three, after I've directed four or five of them, they're like, hey, we got a part for you. I'm like, okay, great. So uh, it's, it's fun. I love it, you know, but I, I will say acting and directing does, it ruins two perfectly good jobs so i prefer to do one or the other but I, you know like i it's a great way to get roles is to direct you know you can kind of just direct yourself yeah and, and then put only the good lines in you know like make sure your performance is <laughs> i get to cut my own performance and be like ah, i don't really like how my ears look in that shot well i definitely want to talk about the app but let's start with easter sunday like i haven't seen it yet but the trailer's great yeah, so during the pandemic, while we were all like locked in our houses, Steven Spielberg saw a Netflix stand-up special by a comic named Joe Coy. And Joe Coy, if you don't know him, is a half American, half Filipino guy who's like blown up into one of the biggest stand-ups in the world in the sense that he fills basketball stadiums. He's, he's just booked Madison Square Garden. He sold three nights out at the Forum in Los Angeles, which is like 56,000 seats. San Francisco, 38,000 seats. Like the guy is like selling. And so Spielberg saw him and said, let's make a movie with this guy. He's a really funny, he's got a really, he does really funny sort of characters. One of them is his mother, who's like a real ball-busting Filipino woman. So we, you know, he, they called me and said, would you make the first Joe Coy film? And I said, I'm a big Joe Coy fan. So sure. So we went up to Vancouver and we took the script they had and we kind of revamped it, kind of, re, you know, tore it down and rebuilt it from zero and, and, you know, turned it into more of a comedy, which sort of fit the stand-up comics that he was. And by the way, I got a part in that movie. And, and we made this movie that is like somewhat based on his stand-up world, his care, the, his mother and his uncles and aunts. And he, in the story he goes, he's a stand-up comic in Los Angeles, struggling, trying to get onto a television show. 
And he goes up to Daly City, California, which is sort of like the West Coast diaspora of the of the Filipinos in America. And and you know his mom sort of breaks his balls. There's a little crime scene, and it's you know, we filled the movie with all these like great Filipino actors and comics, like uh, Lou Diamond Phillips is Filipino. You probably didn't know that, and uh, Tia Carrera is in it. She's Filipino, part Filipino, and and so you know the movie. You know we came out theatrically, and we're you know we're still in theaters, and it's it's it, it's going, it's going well. I, I, I'm interested. This is just my impression. It feels like just from the trailer, like there's so many aspects that even though I'm not immersed in Filipino culture, like in my years in Southern California, we had Filipino friends and they would go over and get lumpia or, you know, things like, yeah. like I've had just enough contact. And then some of our production team are, we have a diversified team in Argentina and France and all over and, our, and editors in uh, one of our editors for the last five years is in the Philippines. So I've got like just enough contacts yeah. to like know a few things. And like, it feels like you're really inside Filipino culture, but not in an exclusive way where if you're not filipino you're not going to get the jokes like i was like it seems like such a mass market movie and yet so filipino is that how it really is or how it well I, you know i worked on shows like arrested development and i worked on shows quite a bit the, the goldbergs and they're super popular family oriented shows and there's and they're super specific those shows goldbergs and, and arrested development and 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 we decided to take that approach to this movie as well it's it's it they are filipinos and filipino americans in the movie but this the show is just a flat-out comedy. Like, it's a, it's a full-on comedy film that happens to have these Filipinos in it. And, and it's, it's not a Filipino film. It's an American film with, yeah. you know, with American jokes yeah, 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 yeah. and Filipino-Americans in it. So it's a little bit, you know, I wanted to make a—I wanted it to be unique in the sense that, you know, like, diversity in film is often—it's sort, of, sort of, like, designed top-down in the sense that the studio is sort of like, we need— to be diverse because we're going to get in trouble otherwise. So let's do a show about the struggle of being a minority in America. Yeah, let's do that. And you're like, well, I can tell you, it's it, it's not really a struggle to be a minority in America as much as, and I know that's sort of blasphemy to say, it's just not. I mean, I, you know, like, uh, are there racial situations that occasionally crop up? Sure, sure. But it's not, we're not living in the Jim Crow South here, right? I mean, you know, it, it doesn't mean nobody is experiencing tough times. I get it. But I thought, you know, rather than make a film that is so, oh, these poor Filipinos, and oh, don't they have a trouble with the white people? Just make a funny, great movie that is more reflective of the of the truth of what this sort of experience is in America. It's, you know, they're, they're going through the same stuff. Well, it looks awesome. I'd seen the trailers before I knew you directed it, and I wish I'd gone to it already so I could talk to you about more on the yeah. show, but it, it looks great. And I'm always looking, you know, I've got four kids. I'm always looking for something you can watch with the family and my TV. You can watch this, I think you can watch this movie with them, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So can we talk about, for, for, I want to talk about the app, but I really want to talk about your origin story with the app on this idea of like Super Troopers kills it with audiences and, and yet critics kind of dampen the release and, and yet the audiences are right and eventually the cult status takes over. But, but really this like this mismatch, I mean, we've all been on Rotten Tomatoes and seen like what the critics think, what everybody who wanted to watch the movie thinks. You know, can you can you talk about this? Yes, because look, I, I, the the film Super Troopers came out at the Sundance Film Festival about twenty years ago, and it was an explosion. It was we were all the rage. Everybody loved us. Searchlight, Fox Searchlight, bought us for three times the budget. Everybody, I mean, it was you couldn't have gone there without saying, "Oh my God, Super Troopers." The film comes out a year later, and the reviewers in the country didn't, they weren't there, I guess, because they did they missed the, the excitement of it. And, and, the, and the Rotten Tomato meter gave it a 36% fresh. Now, Rotten Tomatoes, I will let you know, is named for throwing rotten fruit at creative people. It's in the title. Let's throw rotten fruit at filmmakers, right? And they have this, oh, it's fresh rotten fruit that we're, it's fresh fruit we're throwing at you. I mean, why are you throwing fruit at us? So, so the problem is that reviewers on their own, they're totally fine. They should review films. I'm not against reviewing films. What I'm against is the aggregation of all these reviews because you're like, at the end of the day, nobody's even reading the reviews anymore. They're just looking at this damn number. And, and when you break down what this really is, is these reviewers are, 
there's just individuals who have, they're good writers and they work for newspapers or, or blogs or whatever. I mean, you know, but they're not, they, you don't know them, right? They're, they're, they're basically strangers to you. I mean, and, and, you know, when's the last time you walked up to a stranger on the street and said, hey, what movie should I see? I mean, that's what we're doing with reviewers. Now, if you take 90 of them, which is how many people gave us that 36% fresh thing, 90 strangers gave us, a, and you're like, well, do you, the guy at the New York Times who reviewed Super Troopers poorly, he didn't like The Hangover either. And you're like, okay, well, you didn't like The Super Trooper, you didn't like The Hangover. Do you even like R-rated movies? I mean, it's, you know, now that, then there's the other situation, which is that the way reviewers succeed is by being snarky, right? And and they can't be snarky on dramas because they want to go to the Oscar parties. You're too snarky. You're not getting invited to the Oscar parties. And so they tee off on comedies and horror movies. And I talk to them about it. They're like, well, I mean, you guys can handle it. You guys make tons of money anyway. What's the big deal? And I'm like, the problem, the big deal is that when people are deciding what movie to go to, they look at the tomato meter and they go, ah, oh, that's pretty low. I'm not going to go. Instead, what they should be looking at is what people they know, like, what do those people think of the movie? Like that. And so 20 years ago, I was like, it, 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 it kind of enraged me. And I said, I'm going to get revenge on this Rotten Tomatoes one way or another. And so I've been stewing on it for six, for, had been stewing on it for about 16 years. And four years ago, I came up with the idea that I was going to build a, an app that would, that the goal, the single purpose would be to, to supplant Rotten Tomatoes as, as the source of movie going information on that opening weekend. And so I, I started outlining what would become, what has become the, the, Instagram of recommendations. That's how I sort of describe it because it's much broader than movies now. But basically it's this. Unlike Instagram, you follow people, you follow me, you know, whatever, celebrity. Or you follow your friends, you follow your, you know, your good buddies, your your wife, whatever, husband. And so you, you end up, you know, I will put up I love Reservoir Dogs. I love the show Barry. I love the book, The Epic History of New York City by Ellis. I love this pizzeria Moza in Los Angeles. I love the sushi restaurant in Studio City. I love this golf course. I love these golf clubs. Anything you love, you put into your little profile. And so when you follow me, you're like, oh, I'm in Los Angeles, cheeseburger. You look up, hashtag cheeseburger, and you'll find all the best cheeseburgers in Los Angeles. Or in Utah, I'll look up Italian food. I'll find the best Italian restaurants from people I actually know or are celebrities. But if they're your friends, you can message them and go, you think this is a good place for uh, me and, and my four kids? They'll be like, oh, kids love this place. Da, da, da. And you can message within the app. And it's a way to take... Right, look, I, I I don't want to be a fool, right? I, but but there's no there's no there's not really any negativity on this app because it's only what you love. It's it's based on the premise that when you go to a dinner party, you don't go, hey, what what shouldn't I see? You know, it's just not how we are. We're like, what's good? What you know? And they go, well, there's this BBC documentary, and there's and so we're in the past, we're in the present. You take you hear about a BBC sitcom or whatever, right? And you write it down in your phone, BBC Three, and the name of it is uh, Giraffes. And then it's just sitting there and you're like, when you, when it's a Friday night, you want to watch a new show. You're like, oh yeah, what was that thing? And you're looking for the note and you're not, you know, you can't remember what it was on. We have a thing where it's just like, if I recommend, this is not a real show, but let's say giraffes on BBC three, you're on, you're on my thing and you go, oh, I, I, it sounds good. It sounds like something I'm, and you click a ribbon and it goes into your tri vault. And so then all the things you want to try restaurants and, and, you know, hikes, you know, golf courses, television, books, you just put them in your tri vault. And then on Friday, when you're thinking about what do I want to watch? You go, oh, yeah, there's this giraffes and there's Barry and there's the offer and, you know, whatever it is. And you can quickly click the button and you can be watching it. Well, so I stole the the head of video from a news network and he's our creative director here in house yeah. now. And he and I downloaded it both, followed each other. And then I followed you and I was like, I liked that you like Fletch. And I like, I, I vouched for it too, right? Yeah. I like that you like the usual suspects. I vouched for that too, right? And what's interesting is like, I actually, we aren't, we aren't friends yet, but, but I do want to know what you think is funny because, because like I trust your comedic taste, right? So I do want to know what you think is funny, right? I, I watched, I am actually super annoyed with reviews because, you know, I'm a dad. I run a, a holding company that owns three other businesses and a charity. And I have a lot of action sports hobbies. So like, even though I love movies, like I don't, I don't, I want it to be a great movie. I don't, I don't cycle right. through. I don't try out movies in case it's good. Like I want to be. I don't either. So I, I'm so annoyed when the critics are so off. Like just recently, this is kind of why I'm excited your app exists. Like I feel like imagine if Yelp 
set, gave me more of a sense of who was recommending the restaurant or not instead of just the score. Because guess what? My wife loves salad. She likes, she likes soup. She wants to go to a good soup place. My brother loves barbecue. Yeah. I don't know where my brother wants to eat, not where my right. wife wants to eat. Right. If, if I'm going for myself, right? So like I, there's this review. So I'm a real, like on the show, we've had a bunch of special ops guys and like the little boy in me who still wants to be Jason Bourne. Think yeah. Those guys are really cool. And they help, you know, we got a bunch of them volunteer at our charity and stuff like this. So I'm watching a, a, a recent, a recent special ops movie with a major A-list actor. And it was the Chris Pratt. It was the terminal list. Yeah. Okay. Was- and that's written by Jack Carr, an actual Navy SEAL. Yeah. The adaptation is like, is toned down. And I'm not saying it couldn't have been improved in some ways, but I read this review from The Guardian. And literally in the review, it's like this young girl in her early 20s. And in the review, she ends up saying, I don't know why we're even making movies like this when there's the opportunity to make movies about gender inclusivity. And you're like, like, this is who is going to recommend is this a a good special ops movie or not? Like, like, I think she would be great at recommending, do I like this movie or not? But in the genre, like I've read like between three and 400 books in the Jason Bourne genre. All the Vince Lynn's, all the Brad Thor's, all the whatever, right? Like I'm a connoisseur of espionage special ops this is who is recommending like how does this rate compared to spy game with brad pitt how does this rate you like this is who's rating that right and it was frustrating yeah and you're just like as a creator you're you're saying why did you watch it at all except that it was your job you were assigned this thing and why it's not how you really watch television like the reason you watch the reason I watch Barry is because I like Bill Hader and I like Alec Berg, who's the writer, who was also on Seinfeld, who was also on Curb. So I trust those two things that he did. I know Alec Berg. I met him. And then I and I like Henry the Fonz and I, and I and I like the violence of it. And I was like, I heard it's moody and it's I'm like, OK, I'll watch it. I'm interested in watching I'm not just like, like if, if I have to, if you have to make me review some horror movie, I'm like, I'm just too, I'm a little too scared of it. I don't really want to see it. I had to, I had to close my eyes on some of it. I'm like, ah, you know, like I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. You know, it's, it's, we got a review for Fear Fest out of Arizona. And the, the I think the woman's deceased now, but it, it was, it was grandma's reviews. And grandma said, I don't really like Beer Fest because I thought there was too much drinking. And I'm like, Grandma, the, the, it's a, Beer Fest is an ode to binge drinking. Like, it's a celebration of binge drinking. To to give us a negative thing that goes into our Rotten Tomato score about that, you're like, you know, it's just the wrong, it just doesn't make any sense at all. And so what makes sense is what your your brother, if he says, hey, this is a good barbecue spot, you go, it's going to be a good barbecue spot. I mean... That's all you need. My my partners in this are two guys who are, one of them is in Salt Lake and he's a big tech guy there. And one of them is in Orange County. And those guys came to this over their their sort of rage at Yelp and, and Amazon. They're like, who wrote this review? Was it like, who wrote this review of this restaurant? Was it the guy with the restaurant across the street? Was it somebody who just loves seeing their negative opinions on, you know? I mean, these poor restaurant owners are at the mercy of strangers who don't have much in the game. They're like, yeah, I give it one star. And you're like, well, there's not even context, right? right? right. Like the review doesn't come in and say, I, I'm a guy on a strict keto diet. And I, and I generally am a meat eater anyways. And the yeah. vegetarian restaurant didn't do it for me. Right. Like there's no context for the review. I, like I'm, I'm really excited because for me, like I'm such an audiobook nerd that I, I like movies. I like good movies more than a book, but I like mediocre movies less than a book. So if I'm going to go, if I'm going to yeah. go for movie over audio fiction book, which is my kind of release, like I want it to be a great movie. Yeah. And the, the context factor is so important. And I don't see anybody else nailing it like what you guys are doing. Well, you can also see in the corner of, let's say, whatever, the movie 48 Hours, you can see how many people have vouched for it as, as they start to kind of, and these these certain works are starting to get a lot more than other words. And you're like, oh, that's, it's interesting. And, and I, you know, like I'm trying, the goal for me is, is not to have any robots recommend anything to you. Cause I, you know, the Netflix robot, bless its heart, keeps trying to recommend stuff to me. I'm like, I'm insulted. I'm insulted that you think I would like that show. And, and I, and I, and I, and I would tell you robot, sit quietly and do robot stuff. Don't, don't, don't recommend stuff to me. That's not your job. Let the humans talk now. And so, I want people on this site to go, well, I mean, they're, I 
obviously their friends are recommending stuff and that's that's the purest mainline form of stuff i think but but you know what we will do is we're going to use some ai and say you know you jess and this this guy in Aus- sydney australia you have like an 80 percent agreement on all these things that you both know about but this 20 percent that you've never heard of this australian show about their green berets or whatever you know you might want to take a look at those things and you'll we're going to match things that way right and go and i i believe i mean look i'm i'm I am into politics because the story is is wild and compelling and 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 interesting. I'm, I love stories, right? And 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 the politics of a country are are of this country are it's interesting, right? I, I love I like reading about. It. But part of the problem we've got in this country is that we've you know we've isolated ourselves to some degree around news sources. And I'm hoping that this will be a small element of the of the restitching between left and right in this country because. Because people love people who love forty eight hours are not Democrats or Republicans. They're just people who love forty eight hours, and we need to sort of unify around the things that we actually love in this world. And, and you know, and it's again, it's more about this positivity mumbo jumbo. But I'm 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 interested in being. You know, I believe entertainment is a is a strong source of unity. It can be like my, I mean, my Super Troopers fans are, you know, if you said they were 65% Republican, I wouldn't be surprised, but you know, my, that might be flipped. I don't really know, but I can tell you this. I go do a stand-up show and there are, there's a table of cops, a table of military guys. There's a table of like flat out hippies. And they're all like, yeah, we like, we all like this guy. You know, like it, that's what we're here for. That's what, you know, in addition to commenting on the world, we're here to unify. And I'm hoping that, you know, people connect through Vouch. Well, I mean, it's free, people. Everybody is listening to this. Like, push pause and go to the App Store right now and get it, okay? Here's the other thing that I, you know, like, I'm an art school dropout. I consider my, I still paint. I consider myself an artist. My goal is to get rich enough to pay for my own movies. And, like, I've got 20 scripts started right now on my computer. Like, this is... This is my long-term passion, right? Yeah. I actually got my my start in finance by uh, my friend who's a, my mentor is a print director at DreamWorks, wrote a movie that Ricky Schroeder said he'd direct. Matthew Fox, his agent said he'd be the lead. Gwyneth Paltrow's agent said, if you can even get 5 million bucks for it, she'll be the star because it was more like an, something she wanted to do. And so I said, oh, I've got a rich uncle. Do you want me to see if he'll give you the 5 million, million bucks for it? Who proceeded to no-show the phone call of Ricky Schroeder. I was like, thanks, Uncle Bob. Okay. <laughs> but, but I started asking, I'm like 21, 22. I'm asking everybody I meet, hey, you, you don't know anybody with 5 million bucks for a Gwyneth Paltrow movie, do you? Ha, ha, ha. And they'd laugh. But every fifth person would be like, well, I do know this one rich guy. It's like, really? Mm-hmm. Can I get an intro? Six weeks later, guy I'm standing at baggage with at LAX says, yeah, I do know somebody. Anyways, it progresses all the way to the end and they're getting the five million bucks. And then the people didn't want to pay his commission. And Bill Marriott said that he'd pay for it. Yeah. So they turned down my money. And the Marriott family got was dragging their feet. Schroeder took a deal on HBO. <laughs> the movie's 22 years later still isn't made. But well, it got me, story it got me like, oh, this is possible. Mm-hmm. Like this is, it felt like a near miss, right? Yes. What I think I'm, one of the things I'm kind of excited about your app of like, I mean, it's great, the utility of it. But the other thing is just like positivity for the arts. Like you look at how much money cable news and social media make off negativity. I mean, like, they are getting rich on negativity. Right. But we're also kind of drowning in it. Do you remember when yeah. John Krasinski came out with some good news that he's yeah. filming in his, yeah. <laughs> in his house? That thing was a phenomenon yes. for a few reasons. A, it was unique, but but B, like you actually felt better about life when you were done that time. You know, like, well, I, I think the same thing has happened with Ted Lasso. I think people you know it's like for the first time in a long time, somebody made a comedy that actually the central character is positive. And you're like, well, that's interesting. And people kind of really took off. It's got 20 Emmy nominations. You're like, it's we are craving that positivity. We are crave. I mean, you know, when you like a band, you really what you want to hear is from other people who like that band. You don't want to listen to the guy go. Nah, I think like, it's not. It's not. It's not how we feel. It's not how emotionally we're connected to to great works of of art or even just entertainment. It's just not. And I and I I strongly think. That this, I mean, look. In my view, the the big grand scheme, the big future of this thing is we get 
you know, millions of people on it. And then when a movie's coming out, the way it works is that they screen the film for the reviewers on basically Tuesday and Wednesday of, of release. And they embargo the, they say you can't print it until Thursday night or Friday, whatever. So then the Rotten Tomato Meter comes out, boom, it's right there on, by Friday morning, right in time. We've got all this positivity, oh, this movie. And then boom, 52%. And you're like, wow. Fucking motherfucker. Anyway, so my dream is we get rotten, is we get, we have Vouch Vault advanced screenings too. And we'll do one in Chicago. We'll do one in New York. We'll do one in in Salt Lake. We'll do one in, you know, LA. And and on Friday, we'll have a community of people who said, hey, this movie's really good. I've seen it. I've seen it. And I can recommend it to you more than this stranger can. That's my, uh, that's my grand goal to, to take Rotten Tomatoes out. Well, and from a philosophical standpoint, I'm just glad that you guys are encouraging artists, like encouraging artists and encouraging positivity. Oh, yeah. And this happens to be great to the people using the app because then they get what they want because there's some context. Yeah, review. that's right. Uh, I mean, it has to be good for the users, for sure. That's to me the most important thing. Well, I think you know, that's they, the point. Like that is going to be such like there's so much self-interest for me as a user yeah. that this will end up putting more positivity and encouraging more artists as a result yeah. of it because I'm going to spread it. I'm going to tell my friends I've got like I've got a bunch of people who are into the same spy books as me. And we every time the new spy movies come out, we're like, what do you think? Do you think it's going to be OK? Is it going to be you know, like we're like somewhat obsessed, right? Well, this is great for me to hear because I. I've only dabbled a little bit in spy books, but the first one I read was The Day of the Jackal. And it was that Jack Regan's Frederick Forsyth. Oh, and I read that when I was 10. And I was like, this is the greatest book I've ever read. I mean, because it was, I'd never read a book that was about spies. I'm like, this is so incredible. He's about an assassin. It's, it was so good. I don't know if it's good now. Who knows? But, you know, like the, the thing is, is that I am an expert in my view <laughs> on comedy. I can tell you in my opinion, whether I think something's funny and why. But I believe that, you know, like if you're an expert on on these kinds of books, I, I really want to know what you think. You know, I really want to know. And, 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 you know, if someone's an expert on mountain climbing gear, let's find out what, they, what mountain climbing gear do they think we should buy. Well, back to my earlier comment, like you have paid your dues to have a mastery level of comedy. Like I personally want to know what Jay thinks is worth checking out. Because yeah. I, I trust your comedic sense. Like, you know, in the in the snowboarding world, there's so many snowboard movies that come out all the time. And then you see Netflix try and do a documentary or something like this, right? And it's like, you can tell somebody's a real snowboarder or not. Because if you're not a real snowboarder, you think Sean White is the best snowboarder in the world. Right. And Because that's what the media machine picked up. If you are a real snowboarder, you think Travis Rice is the, is the best snowboarder in the world. Right. Like, it's pretty irrequivocal. Like, Travis Rice is the undisputed Michael Jordan of snowboarding to snowboarders. I see. But not to civilians. Right. Right? Well, but I don't want to hear yes. what the New York Times thinks of the snowboarding movie. They probably think Sean White's the best snowboarder in the world. You know, like, Sean White is an absolute ninja at what he does in the halfpipe and slope style. And, and that is about this much of snowboarding for people who ride the backcountry and a whole mountain and the helicopter and the anyways so yes that anyways i'm not you know, what you're doing it's it's a good point i mean it's sort of it's sort of like that when you look at golf movies and i'm a i'm a an addict i've, I've played okay. 480 out of the past 550 days i mean i'm an <laughs> addict right i've played twice wow. yesterday so uh, but you watch golf movies and and the way movies are made in hollywood is you hire the most famous person you can to play the lead guy and my friend bill paxton made a film with Della Boof, who, you know, was a big movie star at the time. And I was like, can he play golf? And Bill's like, I don't think so, man. We're going to get a double for him. And I was like, uh-oh. And Bill didn't golf either. I love Bill. Bill's fantastic. But he didn't golf. Shia didn't really golf, I can tell you. You could see it in the movie. And you're like, well, this is about the best golfer in the uh, amateur golfer in the world. I'm like, it's not going to land. It doesn't land with golfers. It's got to look right. It's got to feel right. And the and the people behind it have to, you have to believe they, and once you believe they know what they're talking about, man, that's just a, a rich vein of information if they're willing to give it to you. Yeah. Well, again, everybody listening, just push pause right now and go get the app. Uh, Vouch Vault is the name of the app. It's on the Apple Store and the Android Store. And we're going to get video uh, soon, too. You're going to be able to, like, take your phone and vouch for something on video. I know those youngsters like looking at themselves a lot more than we do. But, yeah, we're going we're gonna to build it into something, you know, fun and easy. Hey, P.S., offline, I want to help you with those screenings. I've got some ideas for you. We're, we've actually got space during Sundance. Yeah, uh, for an event we were literally just discussing this morning. Anyways, I got some other, I got some ideas for you offline. We should have another call. Oh, great! Let's do it. Uh, can I? Can we switch gears here? 
Yeah. I only found out at about 9 p.m. last night that you wrote a book. So yeah. I bought Mustache Shenanigans and I stayed up till midnight <laughs> listening to it. So I, I skimmed a bunch of it and then I started at the beginning. Okay, so good. Like, again, back to my audiobook addiction, you know, I've listened to maybe 850 or 900 nonfiction books in the last kind of 10, 12 years. Okay. Wow. It's, it's not as impressive when you find out I'm listening to them at three and a half speed. You can get through yeah. a lot faster. <laughs> uh, but some of those I listen to like many times, multiple times. Okay. Great book. I mean, Thank I should you. be shocked you're, you're a great writer in the, in the entertainment space, but that doesn't always translate into, into the books, especially nonfiction. And it's, I'm, I'm a big fan. Thank you. I mean, you know, the thing about the reason some books don't translate, I'm guessing, is because the person who is the subject didn't actually write them. I'm guessing. Because, you know, if somebody were to write the story of my life, they would get almost all of it wrong. You know, like the only way to really understand what drives me or what I'm most vulnerable about, vulnerable about is to write. What I did is I just, I listed the main stories that I thought were my life. And I started at the beginning. I just wrote each one. Boom, boom, boom. And then I finished it and I read it. And I'm like, huh. It's interesting. I can see the theme of my life. And the theme of my life, once I read the book, became very clear to me. And so then I, and the theme was, I have this, I've from a young age, had a need to feel like I belonged, like I was part of it, you know, because I was like the only Indian kid in the neighborhood. And so I was like, I was also the fastest kid in the neighborhood and the fastest kid in my grade school, the fastest kid in my high school. And that speed bought me currency. And I was part of the gang. I was part of the group. And so I started drinking booze when I was like 11 because I'm like, I got to be part of this list. Yeah, I was a Chicago Bears fan. I'm like, this is a very, you know, tribalism. The flip side of tribalism is is the comforting part of tribalism, that you're part of a, I mean, I'm an, I'm a staunch American, right? I have a, I have a flag, American flag. And I'm also a Democrat. I'm a Democrat with an American flag. And I'm like, to me, being part of the tribe is the most important thing for me in my, in my life. And that's what I figured out in the book. And it's, it's, and, and if you don't really write it yourself, you'll never find that. And then it won't really connect because you're not really speaking the truth. Well, I can, the book does have like a real ring of authenticity. You know, I, I really, I was really interested to he hear you describe these ideas of like, you know, when, when you were breaking into Hollywood, like most Indian guys who didn't have a name or a connection were probably going to get a part as a, you said like a taxi driver or I can't remember what, what your list was. Well, the, the, look, I, I was lead in a lot of plays in high school and college, but you know, in, in theater, it's, it's, it's race blind casting. And so, but the movies, it, it can't be that way that as much. I mean, there's a show called Bridgerton, which, which is dealing with it and it's, it's working clearly but generally the movies are not race blind you kind of your your mother needs to be indian if you're indian which makes sense and but i was looking at the screens and i'm like you know this is when i was a senior in high school deciding whether to go into the showbiz i was like there are no there are no indians on the screens in america there are there there one indian was ben kingsley and he was in gandhi and the way that movie ended there wasn't going to be a gandhi too right they weren't going to come to me to play young gandhi because you know it didn't work out but the, when they did have an indian it was you know peter sellers in the party in brown face or fisher stevens in brown face and short circuit too and i was like and by the way, I think they did a good job in both cases. I think they were compelling, legitimately funny Indians in brownface. All I agree, right? But my dad said, you know, we need you really need to see this movie Short Circuit too. And I said, why? He goes, there's an Indian in it. And I said, Dad, the guy's not Indian. He goes, well, it's as close as we'll get. And I'm like, give me a minute, right? Give me a minute. So I, I from that moment, I was like, how do I get? onto the movie screens. And I don't want to be the guy who Brad Pitt goes and buys a pack of cigarettes at the mini mart before he goes to hook up with Angelina Jolie. I want to be the one who hooks up with Angelina Jolie. So I was like, how do I get that part? And so I said, I was just an actor. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to write a screenplay and I'm going to write a character who's Indian with an American accent right into the center of the movie. And I guess I said, I'll play that part. And then I'm like, you know what I'd better do is I better learn how to direct or else some director might hire somebody else at him, you know? So I then learned how to direct and I cast myself into that movie and then I kept doing it. And now I've been in, you know, 10 movies and 15 television shows and people are like, yeah, of course you should be in the movie. And I'm like, okay. You know, it's interesting though. So I, even though like right now my sport is business because I'm 
trying to make a whole bunch of money, pay for child rescue. Like, the, yeah. this, I don't like fundraising. I hate begging for money. So I just want to yeah. make money, pay for the child rescue stuff, and then make movies. So this is my, this is my right. very complex plan, okay? Right? So I'm constantly paying attention to who's paying for movies, how are they getting paid for, how are people getting where they want. And I'm fascinated by actors, stand-up comedians, pro athletes. Like, see, people are up against, like, insurmountable odds. Like, you know, my, my audience is maybe more people who are, like, they're trying to start get their startup from zero to a billion. And as soon as they leave the room, their friends roll the eyes and like a billion really like that's you know good luck right right and, and it's like it's it's statistically improbable and so i'm yeah. i'm really interested in the people who come up with higher leverage ways to do it and like like i'm such a fan of mark duplass and and how they got those guys got their start of like well you want to know the best way to get in the movie <laughs> have it be your movie self-finance you know like you listen to matt damon talk about like how many misses, how many near misses he and Ben Hatfleck had for things like Dead Poet Society. And like just, I mean, they went to, they went to casting after casting after casting after casting with so many near misses that it was like out of desperation is why they claim they, they wrote a Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. You know? Well, and, it's a total lack of control, this business. You're like hoping that somebody casts you. And, and, and I can tell you, I've been on the other side of the casting thing my whole life. And I'm looking at two people and I'm like, well, you know, the lead guy has brown hair. So, and this actress has brown hair. So why don't we put the redhead in instead? I mean, we could change the brown haired woman's hair to red if we want. I mean, but we're like, ah, just put, to put the redhead in the brown. I mean, that, well, the guy's a little short and then this one's a little too tall. So let's put the shorter woman in with, I mean, that's how it is. They're all talented. They're all very good actors, but let's just put, let's make the image look right. I mean, that's what it, and so when you're in that situation, you're like, that's, the, you know, to, to just try to be an actor. I mean, there are a lot of guys, believe it or not, out here who are, you know, I, I'm not sure if they're as good looking as George Clooney, but there's certainly some and they're not famous. Right. And the reason is because they just didn't, you know, they didn't have the charm or they didn't get the luck or it just didn't happen. I can't live like that. I, I, the only way to come into this impossible odds mission that I have was to try to, you know, control the game as much as possible. And the, and that means writing your own jokes, directing, and then financing, finding the financing. And then, and then it's undeniable because the, I, what I always tell people is that, you know, you can, you can, you can have a, a, a screenplay. A lot of people have screenplays, but you have to force the response, right? And people will, they read screenplays like, I don't know, maybe I don't know. no one wants to put the money in really because they're like, it's risky and who the hell are you? But if you make the movie and then once the movie's made, hey, everybody's watching it and they have to respond to it. And if it's any good, they're going to go, you know what? I can make money on this guy with another movie. And here's let's make a different movie because they can clearly make movies. Well, the other thing, too, though, is and correct me here, but it felt like you were making survivable bets. You know, like your yeah. your first one, you guys actually did it in a way you could break even. Yeah. So then when you go to Super Troopers, you've got a shot. Am I, right. do I have a hundred percent true? And it's, it's, it was still, you know, we made this film Puddle Cruiser for 160,000. We made a profit and then we tried to finance Super Troopers, Super Troopers. And everybody in town was like... I don't know. You guys are going to be the stars of, I know you did that other movie, but I don't know about you guys being the stars of a movie with our money. I don't know. And we, I mean, we tried to get, I mean, every single studio said no. Every single independent financer said no. I lucked into it in a way. I mean, I've been trying for a couple of years to get the financing and I was closing up my office in New York. Phone rang. My friend Cricket was on the phone and she goes, Hey, I know you're sort of in show business. So you're the only one I know. And my dad retired from investment investment banking and he wrote a screenplay probably not good but do you mind reading it for him and i said yeah cricket sure i'll put me on the phone with him so i talked to the guy and he goes hey before i send you my script do you can you just send me one of yours so i know whether i even want to bother and i'm like oh i'm being auditioned to read this script that i really don't want to read so i sent him super troopers and a week later he calls me up he goes that's a pretty good script and i'm like oh yeah thanks and i'm waiting for him to say i'm going to send you mine now i've earned the right to read his what's well, got to be a terrible script got it and he goes what are you doing with it and i'm like well i mean we're on we're raising the money. I mean, it's not working. I don't tell him that. And he goes, can you make it for a million too? And I said, yeah, yeah. Well, that's six times what we made the last one for, you know? And, and he goes, all right, cool. Let's do it. And, you know, within about a month, we had the money in the bank and we, we were making this movie. And because we kept going for it and kept pushing and, you know, 
And it taught me the, le- and you know, the movie sold for a million too, was bought for 3.25 from Searchlight, made about 23 million worldwide theatrically, and then made 90 on home video. And what it taught me is, is make movies for the minimum amount you can so that when the box office comes in, no one's getting fired. Everyone's like, well, you know, I mean, we all, like Easter Sunday, I made it for $17 million, right? We are going to profit a lot on that movie, I can guarantee you, right? And so nobody's worried about anything. <laughs> They're like, yeah, don't worry about it. We're going to home video and you know, everything's going to be fine. And, and I try to keep you know, Duke's Hazard I made for 55, but you had, we were jumping cars and crashing, you know, you know, we're, but, but otherwise I'm trying to make movies because I'll tell you this, Batman, the budget on a Batman movie is like $150 million, right? The budget on Beer Fest was 12. Both movies are 104 minutes long. And you're like, okay, well, you guys got a lot to make a lot more money than we do to break even. And I, they can make it, but you know what I mean? Like, it's like... You know, try not to lose people's jobs. In action sports, you know, skateboarding, right? Like yeah. skateboarding is one of the hardest things on your body. Yeah. And I remember being with other teenage buddies and there's kind of like this macho thing like, oh, I can, I'm going to try and jump that big set of stairs or something, right? And it was always a mistake. Like you should try and jump off a curb, then off a couple stairs, then yeah. three stairs. And you should do it so many times that you can land it each time. Then you go for yeah. the four stair. Once you start getting over waist height, the injuries are like a couple weeks to recover from, not a couple right. hours, right. you know? Like I remember when I got into dirt biking in my 30s, I'm going with this guy. We go to this motocross track. We're the only ones there. We're going on the track a bunch of times. There's one of those freestyle jumps with a huge gap to a hill. He's like, do you dare me to do it? I was like, no, you are nowhere near a good enough dirt biker. No, I don't dare you to do that. Like, you need to work up to it. He's like, I'm going to do it. And then he lands it. And I'm like, oh, no, he's going to have so much false confidence. He's like, you want me to do it again? I was like, no, I definitely don't. Sure enough, goes a little bit bigger and endos a bit. And all I can see from my angle is he's going over the top, but he lands completely on the front tire. And he goes over forward and the dirt bike's coming over on top of him. And it's like, in that instance, I guess we're on our way to the hospital. Yeah. Because you know? he hadn't worked into it. Like, you look at what you did. With, with your $160,000 movie, moving into your $1.2 million movie, moving into, you know, eventually up to 12, now up to 17. And you're like stair-stepping where this is like what Warren Buffett would call in your circle of competence. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Look at the Duplass brothers, like how cheap they kept doing things over and over. Yeah. Because they wanted to guarantee they made a profit. Because when you make a profit, you get to na- make your next movie, right? That's right. So can you, I know, I feel like we need to have you back on because I got so many more questions and I want to be respectful of your time and let you go here at the top of the hour. But can you talk about what principles for equity crowdfunding you have? Because if anybody doesn't know, Super Troopers 2 was not going to happen. The studio wouldn't pay for it. They wouldn't, but they wouldn't let somebody else pay for it in case it worked. And I told you guys, you have to come up with the money. Yeah. Can you talk about principles of crowdfunding for somebody else who wants to learn from your success? Well, I, you know, the, I, I don't know what, like we're, we're the second most successful crowdfunding campaign ever. Veronica Mars, which was a successful television show, they made a movie and they raised, I believe 6.2. And I think we raised maybe 5.3 or 5.5 million, something like that. We, in both cases, there was a pre-existing, right? You, if you were going to give us money for Super Troopers 2, it's because you'd seen Super Troopers 1. And we thought, you know, it's, it had been something like 12, 13, 14 years. I'm not even sure. So I said to everybody, get in shape. You need to look, you need to be the same weight as you were in that first film so that when people see it, you know, we're going to, we're going to get crew cuts, going to grow mustaches, and we're going to do videos for the campaign. And we'll be doing videos in character. And so we wrote, you know, and by the way, I don't want to take credit. It wasn't my idea, but I, my idea was you got to be on weight and you got to have a mustache. But we decided to create a, a, we made about 25 videos to, we, the first one is in character. Hey, we're making Super Troopers too. And we ended up, for those of you who know the thing, we ended up like around a, a police car and we locked Rod Farva in the trunk of the car. And the gag over the whole campaign was if we if we can only raise a little more money, if you, we can get to this number, we'll let Farva out of the trunk. And we kept doing gags or all these sketches around the thing. And and by the 30th day, we left Farva out of the trunk because we'd made enough money. And that was the gag. And so it's a try, you know, the goal is to try to engage the fans and get them involved in this sort of funny, silly little idea. And but it worked. 
I mean, you know, I, I think there was a natural desire for number two out from our fans, for sure. But but what they also liked about it was that the Hollywood studios didn't get it. They loved that delicious it's like idea. leaked Deadpool footage, right? Yeah, they were like, these motherfuckers, they don't get that this is a thing that has to be. We'll show them. We'll finance it ourselves. And and what 50,000 plus people did and immediately Fox Search like called me. They're like, you know, 50,000 people have been financing your thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. They're like, OK, OK, well, OK, great. That's good. Good to know. And then they were like, you know, can we put the money in for the advertising? Like Suddenly they're like, we want to put some money in this thing, too. And, you know, it was a, it was a, we opened the film opened to number one. It was like, you know, like the the whole thing went well and it was you know i th i think it went open to number one in part because our fifty thousand core fans i mean there are hundreds of thousands of other people who didn't push click and donate money fine they were also activated and so you know we we you know we we really had a big success off and it made searchlight a lot of money and now they're like can we make three and we're making three in the springtime and and we made another film called quasi which is like a python-esque 13th century france movie i play the king of france my friend paul plays the pope there's a guy a hunchback in it and so you know searchlight is like well these guys make money for us let's make let's make a two-picture deal so we made a two-picture deal so it's like the key to financing and making films is to make them at a high level for a as low a budget as you can and then gamble gamble on the upside and and the upside comes i can tell you that i mean i'm 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 trying to make a movie now and it's a little edgy right it's it's called american indian american indian but it's about you know the 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 plot of it is that we're i play like a genetic and geneticist in new york city and i i fall out of my engagement and i go to a woman and i go down to austin texas for the weekend and i impregnate impregnate a pro a pro life white southern woman and so the film and she's like I, well i'm having the baby and so we end up getting married and and the movie is about the marriage and about her republican father is like oh, all right you know, and it's a it's a movie about America right now, but it's also about the political correct movement, and it's about what you can say, what you can't say, why it's okay to say, why it's not, and it's a direct conversation about this political moment. Because you know, you know, look, Republicans are, are raising hell about what you can't say and what you can, and they seem to want to say nasty things just because you're not allowed to say it. Democrats have the same exact reaction. We're like, well, you can't, we can't say that, and you can't say that. I'm going to do a movie where we discuss this openly, but you know, the studios are like, I don't know if the press on this and what if you mishandle it? So I'm racing with financing myself. And I made all this money for all these super troopers to one and two investors. And I'm just like, hey, you want to take another run at us? Well, we'll make it for 16, 17 and, you know, we'll make a bunch. Okay. Well, when you're on press tour for that, come back on the show. Yes, I will. I will. Uh, this has been great. What, what do you want to end with? I don't, it's up to you. I mean, it's up to you. I, 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 I appreciate the okay. question, but I don't really, I think I've. Yeah, here's mine then. For anybody who's listening, who's trying to start something where the odds are not in their favor and, you know, people, people indulge them a bit, but they're rolling their eyes behind their back, whether it's, I want to become a, a success in Hollywood, I want to become a stand-up comic, musician, artist pro athlete or I want or startup founder that builds a billion dollar company, what, what would you give them for encouragement? Like what, what principles, if you could only give them, you know, one, two, three principles, like what, what's your advice for those folks who are up against the odds? You know, look, when it comes to, in my view, you know, films are sort of versions of many businesses, right? Because they, they cost a lot of money to make. And if you're, if you're asking for people for their money, what you really need to do is be able to tell them, how are we going to sell it? And why is there demand? And why are people going to go see it? And so that is a, because film otherwise is a very mysterious medium. It's like, you can't guarantee how I'm going to direct it. You can't guarantee whether I'm going to shoot the joke the right way or whether I am, but you don't know that, right? All you know is like you're writing a real money check to try to make this movie. And boy, I hope he nails it. So you, you've got to communicate why it's going to work. And, 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 you know, like that part of the thought process of, of getting your mind around what, why are people going to pay money to come see this is sort of the thing that works for anything for, for businesses. Like why will vouch ball work? Because 
the review systems on Yelp, Amazon, Rotten Tomatoes is broken. It's broken this way. This is how we're, Rotten Tomatoes is named for throwing rotten fruit at filmmakers. Like there are things around it. There's this story, Vouch Vault is a revenge story. Like I, I am here to get revenge on Rotten Tomatoes. You know what else was a revenge story? Netflix. Netflix, the revenge story is Reed Hastings got an $83 late fee bill on a movie he didn't watch. And he was like, I'm going to get revenge. And he built Netflix. So, you know, the, sto- the humans run on stories. And so we have to kind of create the story around the thing you want to do. Make sure there's a real market for it. And then the people who you're asking to invest in, when you won't leave the room, they're not going to roll your eyes because you've done the thought. You've thought about it. You've, you've come up with the, hopefully the story of why people will pay to see it and, or go to, go to download it, whatever it is. I mean, use it while they use it. And if you can, if you can tell that story, then you have a chance, you know, like separately, look, if you, if you try to make it in show business, You've got to fit in, right? You've got to find where you fit into what is a money-making machine, right? Like business is the second part of show business. And if you're not making, you know, it's like that that woman who who, who you were talking about, the 20-year-old something, who's like, we should be making movies about gender equality. You're like, great, as long as, you know, film, film is not this like playground, like this sandbox where everybody gets a turn. It's just, you know, the film is a, is a commercial medium. You know, if you want to turn, write a book. Anybody can write a book, but making movies, you know, we got to hire, we got 50 people on this crew. We got pensions we're paying. We, you know, we're like, we're like putting millions of dollars into this. Everybody doesn't get a turn. Should everybody get a turn? Yeah, sure, sure, should. But, you know, if you're telling me, hey, you want to go see this movie about it's what's the plot? It's about gender inclusivity. You're like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of want to see that spy movie. So it's, you know, you got to sell, you got to sell why people are going to go. And so nothing against this woman. I'm sure she's correct that there should be movies because it's powerful, right? What she's saying is like young people look at that and and they see themselves and that's a powerful thing. So figure out how to make a commercial movie about gender inclusivity and great, we'll all go. If but, it's conv- but to me... To me, that's like the advice. I don't know if it was Steve Wozniak or what Silicon Valley legend said. The best way to complain about bad software is to go make good software. That's to me, that's the answer. That the, the, the that, that is such. I've never heard that advice. That's great advice. I, I mean, the the you young people and any people have they you know you can make films have been made on this right if you get a little bit of audio equipment that makes sure the sound's got to be good if the sound's bad no one's watching so if you figure out how to shoot with this camera and 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 audio equipment and some lights this the 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 ability of this thing with the light it's incredible and you can use it some lamps and, and whatever and, and the new iphone will even be better than the ones those movies yes. are shot on right just make you know, making things and forcing and putting them online. If you can suddenly get a get a, a following, what happens in this town is we're like, well, I got a two million followers. I mean, I, I don't really. And it's funny, right? I mean, let's do something with these guys. I mean, that's waiting your turn. You'll wait forever if you if you write your own stuff and make your own stuff, and then it'll end up in on my computer, and I'll have to react to it and go, pretty good. I have this other thing. Why don't we connect you with these two people? And let's make let's let's give you a little more money and make a real thing. That's sort of how I would advise people to go about it. I love it. If I was going to make a poster for this episode, it'd be that quote. If you're waiting your turn, you're going to be waiting forever. It's true. It's true. Well, this is great. Thanks for spending so much time with us. Sure. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you.